0: Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 61. It's titled, How Much Can You Spend in Retirement? One of the most daunting challenges facing new retirees is determining how much can they spend each year of the retirement savings without depleting the entire nest egg before they die. It is not an easy problem because there are several unknowns. How long will you live in retirement? When are you going to die? What rate of return can you expect and earn on your investment portfolio? And it isn't even so much what is the average expected return, it's what is the sequence of returns? In, In other words, Good years followed by bad years. So you have more bad and negative years in the early years of retirement versus later on. So it's that pattern of returns. And the third is what will be the rate of inflation. Now, in this episode, we'll talk about several ways to, to look at this and approach this problem. It's, it's one of the most frequently asked questions I get from listeners of this show. And and not maybe they don't ask it directly, but they really are trying to solve this problem. One of the ways it often gets asked is many listeners want to be early retirees, and they're asking, well, if I have all my assets in retirement vehicles, what am I going to spend from? And so the simple point of this episode is, one, make sure if you're going to be an early retiree that you have sufficient savings in non-retirement investment accounts, taxable savings. And in fact most early retirees if are going to have that anyway because once you max out your tax deferred vehicles you're going to have to put them in taxable vehicles in order to say have enough savings. But the question is well then when you're retired how much do can you spend? And there's there's sort of these traditional rules of you spend 4% in the first year of retirement, and then adjust that amount, that dollar amount, or euro amount, each year by the rate of inflation. And that would be give you a path to spend each year. Now, that's sort of traditional financial planning theory. I actually, I, I think it's maybe a good rule of thumb, but it has some issues, because And the example I like to give is I have, I live in Idaho, I have a farm in Idaho. If I would ask somebody back east to, that wanted to to come to Idaho and visit me, if my directions were drive west at 55 miles an hour, they would never make it. It's just, it's plain vanilla advice, but it isn't specific to the person's situation. Where are they? Which road should they take? What are they, what are they driving? What are the other circumstances? And that's really when it, when it comes to retirement, it depends on the circumstances. Both the individual circumstances, how much do they have saved? What age are they when they're retiring? What other resources do they have? Are they working part-time? Do they have a traditional defined benefit pension plan? What is the market environment in terms of are are stocks highly valued? Are they very, very pricey? Or are you entering retirement with very, very low valuations or, or cheap, so very, very attractive market conditions? Those are all considerations for answering this question. Back in 1997, we were living in Ohio, and we got a phone call at three in the morning and and to this day I I suppose everyone dreads phone calls at three in the morning. But this was from a friend of my in-laws and my father in law had, had had passed away that night suddenly. And so the next morning we, we drove to Indianapolis where they had been doing some some service. And, and it was, it was devastating, as you, as you can imagine, particularly for my mother-in-law, who had been married for over 40 years. One of my responsibilities when we got her back to Idaho was to drive the pickup truck back to Idaho, and it got, it, the thing broke down in the middle of Kansas, and... It uh, it took about three days to, to get the thing. I finally had abandoned it because I, I had to get back to work and, and took a greyhound back to St. Louis and, and took a plane home. But when somebody dies, you have to move their stuff and get that situated. But I was a financial advisor. I was not a traditional financial planner. I worked with institutions. But here, this question of how much to spend in retirement became very, very relevant because I was put in charge of my mother-in-law's investments. And when when you look at these studies, and, and we'll look at some studies in this show, in this episode, where they'll do what's called Monte Carlo analysis. And they'll what Monte Carlo analysis is is a simulation where they'll run these simulations, maybe 10,000 scenarios to figure out, all right, well, how much can you spend? And based on different market environments, what's the probability – of making your retirement last for 30 years. And, and so it, you have a spending rate, you have a timeline, but you have different market environments. And, and and that can be helpful. I mean, there there are some issues with Monte Carlo simulations in terms of how they're set up. Most of the time, they're set up somewhat naively in that they use what's known as a normal distribution where you have a... An average expected return, and then you have a standard deviation or a range of returns around that average that are normally distributed. In other words, the odds or the probability of very rare extreme events are much lower than what actually occurs in real life. And I, I've talked about this in earlier episodes in, related to modern portfolio theory. So there's some inherent flaws with how it's often set up. Now, you can adjust your Monte Carlo simulations to, to take to – take, essentially to take into account what are known as fat tails or extreme events or, or there's other ways to look at it. But the other problem with Monte Carlo simulation, and, and this became very, very clear with my mother-in-law, she's just one person, one data point. She doesn't get 10,000 scenarios. She got – one, it's been 18 years and she is a perfect example uh, of someone, she did not have much money and doesn't have much money. She's still alive and, and so to protect her privacy, I won't give you uh, a ton of details, but she was very similar to an average retiree. She had a little over... $200,000 in an IRA. And, and that was sort of the nest egg that we had to work with. She had, has Social Security. My father-in-law had a pension. He worked 30 years for, I believe it was 30 years for Westinghouse. He had a full pension. And I was not involved in advising their finances. A financial advisor Recommended to him to take a higher pension amount and buy and and buy take out a about a fifty thousand dollar life insurance policy in case he died, and he took a higher pension amount. So if he died, his spouse or my mother in law would not get anything. He died about a year and a half after retiring. It was a terrible, terrible advice, in my opinion. And and I'm not a financial planner, but I, I Just looking at the numbers, it didn't work out. The pension, 30 years pension gone. That left this couple hundred thousand dollar nest egg, some about a a little bit, six figures, 100,000 or so in home equity and social security. That's not much to go into a 30-year retirement. And then you have the issue of what are the investment returns. I found a spreadsheet that I kept. So every year, and and I, I do this now on my own investment portfolio, if you're a retiree, a near retiree, an early retiree, I think it's very helpful to track, at least annually, how much did you spend at a retirement, and what was your investment return. I talked about this in episode 33 mind the gap, comparing your after-tax, or excuse me, after-tax, after well, after-inflation after return, your real return, and compare it to the percent of your portfolio you're spending. Now, with my mother-in-law, we've not, I've not used the 4% rule because, as I said, it depends on conditions. So I looked at this spreadsheet, and I kept it from 1997 through mid 2011. So that's roughly the first what is that 13 14 years of retirement. So half the typical retirement. And I looked at the returns and she was had what's known as sequence of return risk. The S&P 500, so which is a measure of the broad star stock market, essentially US large company stocks. From 1997 through, so the end of 1997 through mid-2011, annualized return negative 0.8%. Now, that makes for a very, very difficult investing retirement. From 1997 through mid-2011, two significant bear markets. A portfolio that was 35% stocks, 65% sixty five percent bonds would have returned three and a half percent annualized. She generated in her portfolio that I was overseeing about five point eight percent and so when I talk about when I look at my retirement, I'm trying to target five to six percent i You just can't go into retirement assuming in my mind you're going to earn eight nine percent because the challenge is you can't afford to have a huge negative drawdown in the first years of retirement because it can es- essentially decimate it in the later years. Now, I look at, I also calculated how much have we spent or has she taken out of her portfolio? And it has from as low as 2% in some years to 11% in other years. And so and and it's actually been dropping over time. What has changed? so she 's just one data point. Well, in the early years of retirement, she was spending more and I, I to tell you, I was a little worried because she needed it to live. The nest egg was not very large, and then, after about seven years of being single a widow, she remarried, and that helped things a little bit and then she had also bought. We assisted her in buying with my brothers-in-laws a long-term care policy, and unfortunately, in her case, she had to draw on this policy. And, and unfortunately, she had it. Unfortunately, she's had some illness that's required it, and so the amount that we now, because it covers most of her living expenses in the, in the facility where she's at, her spending rate is much lower. But the point is, it's very, very difficult to go into retirement and, and say, I'm going to spend X percent, and I'm going to raise it by the rate of inflation, and just put it on autopilot. You have to look at it each and every year because your circumstances change. It is so hard to envision a 30 to 35-year retirement. There's a really interesting study that Michael Kitsis and Wade Faw put together, I believe it was last year, and I'll put the link in the show notes. It was in the Financial Planning Journal, but there was a pretty detailed article in that I can link to, the American Association of Individual Investors Journal. And the article was titled, Reduce Stock Exposure in Retirement or Gradually Increase It. And they did some of this Monte Carlo analysis, and what they're trying to figure out is if you did spend, if you use that 4% spending rule, what percent should you put in stocks versus bonds? And should it be should it be consistent over time? The conventional advice is to reduce your stock exposure as you age. But what they found in their study is that it was better to actually increase your equity allocation over time. So they ran these 30-year retirement c- scenarios. They used, in this case, it looks like historical average capital market expectations, which is probably isn't the best assumption. They did some scenarios where they used worst-case scenario or, or lower investment return assumptions. And so it's not so much the, the raw probabilities in the sense that we're comparing it. So, for example, what they found is if you had a – if your allocation to equity was 50% at the start of your retirement and you stayed 50% throughout your retirement, you have about a 94% probability of making sure your nest egg lasts for a 30-year retirement. On the other hand, if you start out with 30% in equity and increase it gradually over time to where it's 70% in stocks by the end of retirement, you have about a 95% probability of reaching your goal. And so what what was and, – and they have a little table here in this chart, and you pull, pull it up, the link, and it's colored. So green was higher probabilities, yellow, lower, and and really – the, the best sort of the sweet spot was to start out at that 20 to 30% range in stocks in the first year of retirement and then gradually increase it over time. Pretty fascinating study. Now, again, it uses Monte Carlo simulation, has some things which, which have some challenges to it, but Monte Carlo can still be useful for sort of comparing different methodologies. The reason keeping your equity allocation low in the early years of retirement and increasing it over time works in that you have a higher probability of making your nest egg last is the fact that it's a form of dollar cost averaging. If markets are unattractive in the early years of retirement, valuation's high, you get a severe market drawdown. Then valuations get lower. You miss the negative impact of that. But then as you're increasing your equity allocation over time, you're essentially dollar cost averaging into more attractive markets. So it is an interesting approach. It is not necessarily the approach that I'm using with my early retirement. I am focused on adjusting my equity allocation based on market conditions, now, I am, I am keeping it low. So my, of my overall net worth, it's about 20% in stocks. And it, it would potentially go higher if we got to extremely attractive valuations. And, and that's one thing I do on the Money for the Rest of Us hub. I provide guidance in terms of what I'm doing with my portfolio to, so that retirees can adjust their spending based on market conditions. I don't tell individuals what they should spend, but I at least give them some framework for where we are to help them adjust their spending rate. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Togovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, You must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at NetSuite. Dot com slash david that's netsuite slash david netsuite slash david so we've addressed the unknowns of investment returns and we've addressed the spending rate adjusting it based on your individual circumstances based on market conditions. Let's look at. This idea, you don't have any idea when you're going to die. We can look at probabilities. There's there's actuarial studies, so I'm looking at one now that's based on Social Security data. It's from a study called Lifetime Income Risk, Joint Task Force Discussion Paper, and it's a paper on longevity risk. I'll link to it in the show notes. But a typical couple age 65. The probability of the male living to 85 is 40%. The probability of the female living to age 85 is 53%, and the probability one of them will make it to 85 couples, about 72%. As you go to age 90, 20% probability a a 65-year-old couple that the male will make it to age 90, 31% for female, and 45% for both. What's your odds of living to 100 if you're 65? 1% if you're a male, 3% if you're female. So what's interesting here is when I referred back to the earlier study by by Michael Kitsis, where we showed probabilities of achieving a 30-year retirement based on 4% spending rule, adjusting your equity exposure over time, 95% probability of not having your money run out. But the probability of actually reaching 95 without having passed away is only about 18% for a couple. 6% for the male, 12% for the female, 18% for the couple. And so if we can t- if we look at those probabilities, that means the probability of retirement ruin, and actually running out of money is, is lower than the earlier tables because most people won't make it to age 95. And this is where there's a way to truncate or, or to guarantee you don't run out of money in retirement, irrespective of when you die. And I call it the – now, that was embarrassing. I had to stop the take. I had this great name for this strategy, and I couldn't remember it. It's called the Stay Alive Alive by 85 Bucket. I thought it was a cool name, but I can't even remember it, so it probably isn't that memorable. But Still Alive, not Stay Alive, interesting in Sweden is still the home of the eternal home of the Bee Gees. I heard Stayin' Alive so many times in Sweden, I couldn't believe it on the radio. It's Still Alive by 85 Bucket. Here's the strategy. In episode 32, Die Broke, I talked about single premium immediate annuities where you take a lump sum, you buy an annuity, you pay a premium to an insurance company, they promise to pay a certain amount for the rest of, you, of your life. You can. I won't get into a, a great deal of detail. Go back to episode 32. You can listen to that. But what's interesting about annuities is the older you are when you buy them, the higher The payout. So a 65-year-old couple that purchases an annuity, puts $100,000 in one of these SPIAs, that's what you say it for short, SPIA, would get $5,100 per year for the rest of their lives. If you're 85, you get double that amount, $10,656 per year for that same $100,000. Why? Because 85-year-olds have a, a lower life expectancy. So the stay alive by 85 bucket what you can do in retirement is set aside a certain amount you can go to immediateannuities.com and play around with scenarios but play around with how much could you would you need to buy an annuity if you were 85 today to cover your living expenses today and then you potentially could set aside that dollar amount in in a separate account, keep it conservative, conservatively invested, just trying to earn the rate of inflation. And then if you have this, this bucket, this, this segregated account invested conservatively, what that means is that by the time you're 85, hopefully at that point, if you're still alive, you could buy an immediate annuity, get a much higher payout, and live on that for the rest of your, of your life. And what that means is that much of your nest egg really is just focused on the first 20 years of retirement if you retired at 65. And one criticism of this strategy is, well, that's just mental accounting. Well, mental accounting, behavioral aspects of it, we're emotional, we're human, and sometimes these behavioral accounts actually reduce stress and help us make better decisions. So I have my still-alive-at-85 bucket. I have it invested in our farm, and I've, in my mind, said, that is money. I'm just going to keep it in this land and not worry about it. And maybe when I'm 85, if I still need some money, I'll sell and buy an annuity. This approach is, is, is helpful because one fear that retirees have in buying annuity is giving up control of their assets. What if what if I die in the first couple years? And and there's there's riders you can get to sort of mitigate that. But if you're not having to buy an annuity to 85, you can really take advantage of the fact that you can get a higher payout. You don't have to give up control of the money now. You kind of have this this segmented account. The other benefit is right now annuity payments are much lower because interest rates are at historical lows. So annuity payouts are at historical lows. If you can wait and defer purchasing annuity till you're 85, hopefully it'll be a more attractive interest rate environment. You can get a higher annuity payout. So when we look at the principles I've shared today, one, there is no hard, fast retirement spending rate. It depends on your individual circumstances. It depends on investment conditions. It depends on what age you're retiring at. If you're retiring in your 50s, you're going to want to spend perhaps it's 2 to 3% of your nest egg, and you're going to have to supplement it with part-time income, even perhaps in your 60s. But it also depends. You see, my mother-in-law, it has ranged from 2% to an 11%. 11% clearly wasn't sustainable, but there were extenuating circumstances that required it to be higher in a given year. And so it can vary. The idea is to look at it year by year, perhaps use the still alive at 85 bucket analogy. Also look at what is the gap, mind the gap. We have to factor in inflation. And so calculating your real net of inflation return comparing it to how much you're spending so that you actually are in the early years of retirement, hopefully earning more than the rate of inflation and the amount you're spending so you're minding the gap. Again, you can listen to episode 33 to get more information on that. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's awesome. You can sign up for my Insider's Guide. I was going to do an episode today on Greece and the situation on Greece. But my my concern of doing that is Greece could stay in the European Union or they could be exiting. It's sort of do or die for them in terms of where they're going to be. And what I'd like to do on this show is evergreen content. I don't want to have an episode that three months from now is irrelevant. So what I've done instead is for Insider's Guide members, I share with them an audio lesson I had done on the Hub on what happens or what will happen if Greece exits the Eurozone. What are the good things that could happen? What are bad things? But I kind of walk through the scenario. It's about a 15-minute audio. I send it out to members of the Insider's Guide the day that this episode was released. If you're listening to this later, if you go to moneyfortherestofus.net, sign up for that Insider's Guide and in the next week email, you'll get a copy of that audio lesson or link to it so you'll be able to to kind of perhaps put yourself a little bit at ease. There's a lot of concern regarding Greece and at least hopefully provide some context. Just a reminder, MoneyForTheRestOfUsHub.com is the premium membership site that will be closing to new members as of the end of June 2015 in order to close the hub temporarily only so I can restructure it. I talked about that in detail in episode 60, so I won't go into it there. But just know that in a few weeks, it will be closing. So if you're interested, go ahead and visit Money for the Us, and and give it a try. Everything I've shared with you in this episode is for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided any type of investment advice. I'm simply providing general education on money, investing, and the economy. I hope you have a great week. Thanks for all those that have left reviews on iTunes. Please continue to do so. I find the feedback very, very helpful. Thanks.